Welcome to Dayspring Church Online, where we share the message of hope all over the world. Our prayer is that this podcast will help you live a more fulfilling life with God at the center. For more information on how you can take part, visit us at dayspringpc.org. Um, I want to tell you a joke. If you're visiting us, we always like to start with a little bit of humor because we believe that the house of God should be fun, should be exciting, should be a place where God not only corrects us and speaks to us, but where we also have a great time. Don't you agree? So a friend gets invited by his co-worker to his house for dinner. He comes up to his friend's house and they're having dinner and he notices that his friend always precedes Anything he asks from his wife with sweetheart, babe, um, pop, just nice, sweet names. The uh, friend says, hey, you know, I got to give it to you. After all these years of marriage, it's amazing that you would still call her by such sweet names. To which the friend says, well, honestly, I forgot her name. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. Lord, speak to us. Do a good work in us. Lord, use me to bring about your love, your truth, your grace, your power. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. My desire is what your desire is. That we would walk out of this place better than the way we walked in. That our mind would be different. That our passion would be different that our perspective would be different. And I believe that your word does that, Lord. So Lord, help us to not be distracted by Facebook, Instagram, texts, kids, papers, so that we may not miss out on the blessing you have for us in your word. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. What's in a name? Here's what William Shakespeare said. He said, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. In our days, we, play, we place very little significance on names and the meaning of names. Parents usually name their kids after a, a, loved, uh, a beloved relative or, or a well-known person or what has been happening a lot lately. Parents simply name their kids a name that sounds what? Cool or weird. Yeah, I didn't think of that one. Yes. Right? Oh, that sounds kind of that sounds kind of cool. I can't pronounce that. Let's name them that, right? And we seldom in our days give thought to the meaning of names. But did you know that names were supposed to be descriptive of who that person was or what that person did? For example, if your name is Kenneth, Kenneth means to know. So if you're a Kenneth, it should be expected for you to be a knowledgeable person. You can't be a Kenneth with no high school degree, with no college degree, who doesn't like to read and is just on YouTube all the time. If your name is Diana, cover your ears. Your name means of a God. And Diana should be divine. Diana should be something Amazing to look at. So names do mean something. And Shakespeare may have shrugged off the importance of a name 
But the Bible tells us that names provide important clues to the nature of a person. That a name was not just to identify someone, but it was more to describe someone. And see, many people today, even inside of church, but especially outside of church, many people today know God not by the way he's described himself, but by the way they've learned God is through somebody else directly or indirectly. They know God impersonally. They don't know him. They know about him. And there is a great difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You, can, can I give you a clue on how you can know if you know God? When you talk about him, when you talk to him, pay attention to the possessive term that you use about God. Do you say, God, you're a healer, or do you say, God, you are my healer? See, because when God has healed you, you know he's your healer. When you say, God, you're a provider, or you say, God, you're my provider. There is a huge difference. See, many people today, especially young people, and this is the parents' fault. This is our fault as parents. They know God impersonally. The God that they know is the God of their parents. And sometimes that God is mean. Sometimes that God is strict. Sometimes that God is boring, and that's not who God is. There's co-workers that they know God from you. And I hope you've been giving them a good example and a good description of who God is. I can't recall who it was by name, but one of the early church fathers said, uh, preach God at all times and when necessary, use words. And see, the goal of this series, we're in a series called I Am, is, is we want to get to know Jesus. We're contemplating Jesus. What does it mean to contemplate? I think the definition is going to be put up here. But let me tell you what it is. To contemplate is to think about something seriously and at length, especially in order to understand, to understand it more fully. We are contemplating. We are looking at the person of Jesus. We are letting him tell us who he is. And here's why we're contemplating Jesus. When you see... The problem, and I've been telling you throughout this series, why many people can be in church, can have religion, but not experience life and transformation. Right? Let me tell you another reason why. Because we don't contemplate Jesus. Because we don't think of him seriously. Because we don't try to know him personally. See, when you contemplate Jesus, here's what's going to happen. Transformation change is going to happen in your life. Because there's no way you can be around Jesus. There's no way you can get to know Jesus and stay the same. Something good always happens. Look at what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says right there in your outlines. It says, and we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. Are being what? Transformed into his image. With ever increasing glory which, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When you contemplate God, when you contemplate Jesus, when you contemplate his glory, his glory transforms you. And it's not going to make you like your wife. It's not going to make you like your husband. He's not going to make you like your parents. He's going to make you like him. And let me tell you something. We're always better off looking like Jesus. We're always better off. 
So, in the book of John, in the gospel of John, we've talked about the gospel. And by the way, if you're visiting us today, we do have the previous three sermons online. You can go to our website or you can look us up on the podcast channel under Dayspring Church Online and you can listen to those messages. But in the book of John, Christ makes seven statements about himself that help us to know him more. And here's why we're doing this. Because there is rich benefit for you and for me as we get to know who Jesus says who he is. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the truth and the life. There is a benefit for you and for me. And today we're going to look at the fourth statement where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Look at what it says in your outline in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of what? The world. Listen to this next part. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Okay, I want you to understand the context in which Jesus makes this awesome statement. Um, there was, the, uh, the, the, there was a, a festival that was being celebrated, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a pilgrimage feast. It was where all the Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the Tabernacle of Feast. And the Tabernacle of Feast uh, lasted seven days. And the first day of the Tabernacle of Feast um, holds great importance to the statement that Jesus makes when he says, I am the light of the world. The first day of the Tabernacle of Feast was known as the illumination of the temple. And it was celebrated in one of the courts in the temple. And I want you to picture this. It was like a stadium-like environment. It was surrounded with chairs. Well, they didn't have chairs back then. It was surrounded with seats. And in the middle, they had lamps. These big, huge lamps. And when nightfall came, those lamps, those, those candelabras were lit up. And as soon as they were lit up, the people would dance. They would worship all night long. And it is in this night. And by the way, historians say that whenever they lit those lamps up, that they were so big and so strong that you could see the light from far away. That you didn't necessarily have to be there to see the light. That the light would reflect all throughout the city. And it is in this context that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus is the light, not merely a light or another light. He is saying, I am the only light. I am the true light. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about light. Did you know that the first chapter of Genesis speaks about the light and the last chapter of the book of Revelation speaks about the light? And what I want us to do today is that I want us to look at the first three verses in the book of Genesis because the first thing God does, and we're going to look at the context of before God began creation. We're going to look at the context of the condition of the universe and the difference that light makes. But I want you to I want to tell you something. If you ever want to know the true meaning of something, you got to go to the Bible and look at the first time it's mentioned. The first time that a 
subject or a topic gets mentioned, that's where you're going to find the purest definition of that topic. And in the first three chapters, we find the description and the power and the significance of light. Look at what it says in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. I'm sure you're probably familiar with this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a very powerful verse, right? Because it's assuming two things. One, that God exists and that God created everything, right? The earth, listen to this, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hoovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was what? Light. So what is the picture? What is the context of the universe? Three descriptions. It's messy, it's dark, and it's empty. It's dark, it's messy, and it's empty. And the first thing God does in creation is to say... Let there be light. Why is light the first thing that God does? Because when light appears, three things happened in creation. Darkness was dispelled, disorder was brought to order, and voids were filled. Because when light arrives, it transforms everything. And see, these three things that God did in creation, he wants to do in you and me every day. And he wants to do this today. And I want to tell you that your life is not going to change until light, until the light of the world comes into your life. And Jesus is that light that you need. He will will light up. He will dispel the darkness in your life. He will bring order to the disorder in your life. And he will fill the voids in your life. He will do that. And what I want to do today is look at that transformation power of Jesus as the light of our lives and the concept of what light did in creation. And I want to do it through a very familiar story that I think many people are familiar with. Okay? The story of the woman who was caught in adultery. Yeah, we're going to talk about adultery today. Don't get scared. Don't get scared. You should have stayed home. No, don't get scared. Let's look at the three transformational steps that light has in our life. Number one, you can fill this out in your outline. Light exposes darkness. The first step towards transformation is that light exposes the darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. And listen, in the light of Jesus, when Jesus lights up your life, then you can see yourself or who you really are. You want to know who we really are? We are sinners in need of a Savior. I am a sinner in need of a But you're a pastor. How could you be a sinner? I'm still a sinner in need of a Savior. I am a forgiven sinner, but I still struggle with sin. I'm together with the Apostle Paul. I could say, I am the chief sinner of them all. See, because the more you know God, the more you know how much you sin. Look, Look at what John 8, 3 and 5 says. Let's look at the story of the woman caught in adultery. 
The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and if you don't know the Bible, these are just religious people. You got to be careful with religious people, okay? Um, even in church. There's a big difference between being a Jesus follower and being a religious person. Did you know that? You got to go back and listen to one of the weeks. I spoke about that. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in bed with the man who was not her husband. Now, let me tell you the first problem here. If you go back and you read the law, the law says that if a woman and a man were caught in adultery, both of them needed to be brought and punished. Both. Okay? But here, what do these religious people do? They only bring her. I'm going to get ahead of myself, but this is so good. See, it may have, it may have, it may look like a bad thing to say, hey, these people were humiliating her. They put her in a spot of humiliation. But if you know the story, Jesus turned that thing around. And sometimes people want to bring you down and God will use that to elevate you up. That's the difference that Jesus made. But let's go back to our text. They forced her to stand in front of the people. They said to Jesus, teacher, see, they're interested in what he has to say, not in who he is. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone to death any such woman. The law commanded both people to be stoned, but they only gave part of the law. And they asked, what should we do? See, here's the thing. This woman gets caught in adultery. Her sin is exposed. We prefer, and we've become really good at hiding, ignoring, and pretending our sin. Because we don't want to be exposed. We don't want people to know that we're not who we portray in social media that we are not who we act like on Sundays and we've become really good in fact I want to tell you something the more religious you become the better you become at hiding your sin you hide it behind the way you talk you hide it behind the way you worship you hide it behind the way you dress but here's the problem with hiding sin is that it has severe consequences Hiding your sin may keep you from being exposed, but it won't keep you from dying. It won't keep it from destroying you. See, there's people, and there might be some in this place, that say, oh, I don't like to go to the doctor because all they do is find what's wrong with you. As if not knowing makes you more healthy, right? I say, okay. Right? It's like, it's knowledge that makes you sick. No, if you're sick, you're sick, whether you know it or not. And if you are the kind of person that says, I don't go to the doctor because I don't want to get bad news, what you're really saying is, I'm okay with dying early. And if you are hiding your sin, what you're really saying is, I'm okay with something dying early. Be my marriage, be my family, be my hopes, be my self-esteem, be my health, I am okay and listen, in order to experience transformation, we need to let the light of Jesus reveal the things in our life that are destroying us. And they're called sin. And that is the first thing that Jesus does. Now, look at what 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says right there in your outlines. 
It says, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. Now, let me tell you, and, and you have to understand this. Jesus, as the light of our life, exposes our sin. You got to get this. Not to us, to extend forgiveness to us. Because he wants to save you from the consequences that sin is bringing to your life. And he's not out to get you. He's out to help you. But if you don't acknowledge, if you don't confess your sin, you're going to continue in the dark. And unconfessed sin destroys lives, marriages, family, dreams. Look at this next um, quote right here in the, in the screens. In the Gospel of John, in John's Gospel, the term light refers not so much to God's holiness. When you study the word light um, in the Bible, it speaks of God's holiness. But in the Gospel of John, the main theme of light is not God's holiness. Here's what it is. But the revelation of his love in Jesus and that penetration of that love into lives darkened by sin. See, light, it's God's love penetrating our darkness to help us come out of sin. I want to tell you something about your sin. Your sin and what you do with it will determine the story you tell. What story do you want to tell? You want to tell a story of denial, of blame, of regret, of shame, of death? You want to tell your grandkids? You want to tell your kids? You know, I, I once was married, but now I'm not. I once had a company, but now I don't. I once served the Lord and I had joy, but now I don't. Because sin and what you do with it determines the story you are telling. And let me tell you something. Even if you don't want to tell your story, your kids will. Oh, that's why I don't go to a life group because I don't want to tell my story. Well, let me tell you something. Somebody else is telling your story. <laughs> so you still got to do something. But here's the thing. When you let the light shine on your darkness, on your sin, then your story can be changed. Amen. You can tell a story of forgiveness, story of new life, story of transformation. Listen, although confession and acknowledgement of our sin is difficult, in the end, it always produces life. So what are you doing with your sin? I know that the first thing that light does is that it exposes darkness. Jesus lets us know. When you know Jesus, you know what you're doing wrong. You know what's destroying your life. Remember, he's not out to condemn you. He's out to restore you. He's out to heal you. He's out to transform you. Amen? Here's the second transformational step. Light, and you can fill this out in your outlines, light brings order to disorder. Light brings order to disorder. When light drives out darkness, the disorder is brought to order. Let's go back to our story in John. Verse 7, look at what it says. It says, they were saying this to trick Jesus, right? They brought to Jesus and say, hey, this woman needs to be stoned. And they were doing this because they wanted to trick Jesus. Look at what it continues to say. They wanted to catch him saying something wrong so that they could have a charge against him because Jesus was flawless. Jesus was without sin. 
But Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. What he wrote, we don't know. We can assume, we can, we can uh, imagine, but we do not know. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. See, the scribes and Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus and they were trying to pin him in a difficult place. Because if Jesus uh, uh, approves the stoning of this woman, then Jesus isn't loving. But if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, then he's an infringer of the law. So Jesus delays his answer and that's why he stoops down and, I don't know, maybe he's drawing a fish on the floor. I don't know, I have no idea. He's doing definitely wasn't doing anything useless. Jesus was, was Jesus, right? But the Pharisees keep demanding, like, hey, give us an answer. What do we do? We got the rocks ready. She's standing right there. Can I throw a strike? So Jesus, he says, hey, and by the way, parents, here's a really good um, principle for you. When your kids give you a hard question, answer it with another hard question. Why do I have to? Why don't you have to? <laughs> hey, youth, I love you, okay? I love you. just want to say that. So Jesus says, hey, whoever's free of sin, throw the first stone. Let's continue reading. Then Jesus stooped down again and rode on the ground. When they heard this, they began to leave one by one. The older man left first. Why the older? <laughs> so hey, young people, when your parents try to remind you how bad you are, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, I gotta give, I gotta equip everybody, right? Let's go back, let's go back. The older man left first, and then the others. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing there in front of him. He looked up again and said to her. Now notice that Jesus is stooping down and she's the one standing. In reality, it's the, it's the other way around, right? We're the ones that sin has dragged us to the floor and Jesus is the one standing. But here's the principle. Jesus became for us so that we could become what we couldn't become on our own. He stoops down to our level to bring us up to his level. Amen. He looked up again and said to her, where did they all go? Did not one judge you guilty? She answered, no, sir. Then Jesus said, I don't judge you either. See, what Jesus does here is that if there was somebody that could stone her, it was Jesus. And he has every right to. But what does he say? He says, neither do I condemn you. You know what that's called? That's called the grace of God. What a wonderful grace of God. You know what the grace of God is? It's you're guilty, but I don't condemn you. You're guilty, but I don't judge you. And if you're guilty today... And if you confess it to God, let me tell you what's going to happen. God will extend his grace to you. Amen. And let me tell you, grace changes everything. Yes. 
I am not here, you shouldn't be here, because we're good at keeping the commandments. I am here, you're here, because we are forgiven and set free. Amen. So, if you've been saying, I want to get my life in order so that I can go and follow Jesus, let me tell you, you'll never be able to. God will take your mess, and you'll bring order into it. And the way he brings order into this messy situation is through his grace. And there might be people in this room who think, who think that what they've done in life, because of what they've done in life, God can't love them. After the way I've ruined things, there's no way God could forgive me. After the way the decisions that I've made and the, the choices that I've taken, there's no way that God could restore my life. After all this time, there's no way that I could earn the respect of my children or of my parents. And I want to remind you once again that that is the voice of the accuser. He is the father of lies and he tells you miserable lies. And he says, you're too old, you're too addicted, you're too stubborn, you're too good, you, you, it's too late. But if you listen to him, you'll stay where you are, you'll stay in darkness. But see, that's why Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says something more powerful. He says, those that follow me will not walk in darkness. See, because it is the grace of God that changes everything and allows us to not just recognize our sin, but allows us to not be condemned, tied down by our sin, so that then we can walk in life. And that's what light does. See, you won't get your life in order. you got to come to Jesus, then he'll bring order. Because that's what light does. The, the third transformational step, fill this out in your outline, is that, God, is that light fills the void and gives life. Now, I need you to pay attention on this point. Especially if you're not a church person, if you're not a Jesus follower, and you're considering... Um, you're considering him. This next point is very important. Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but that's just the first part. There's a second part to what Jesus says to her. It's found in John 8, 11. He says, go and sin no more. See, Jesus doesn't say that she it didn't sin. She didn't say, no, no, you're not guilty. No, he didn't say that. And he definitely did not say that her sin was okay. That's not what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus tells her. He tells her, you can live differently. Go and sin no more. See, the enemy is focused in your past while God is focused in your future. And he says, I've taken care of your past. I've forgiven your sins. I paid for your sins. So don't keep making your past your future. Forget about your past because I paid for it. But go and sin no more. Go and live differently. And that's what light does. See, you don't have to keep living. You don't have to keep thinking. You don't have to keep talking. You don't have to keep acting like you do. God says you can be totally different. You can be totally different. If you let my light shine upon your life, you will be different. Go and sin no more. Come on, come on. Think with me for a moment. Think how different would your life be if you just didn't sin? Right? What if in your relationship with your wife you didn't sin? 
How much better would it be? What if in your relationship at work you didn't sin? How much more fruitful and enjoyable would work be? See, the problem, the problem in many, I don't want to say churches, so I'm going to make this really personal. The problem with many Christians is that they only adopt the first statement of Jesus. Only God can judge me. And he will. Okay? So yes, God doesn't condemn you. But he also doesn't make a suggestion. He makes a commandment. He says, go and sin no more. Go and change. Go and let me be transformed. And I want to tell you today that you can be different. And here's the reason why you can be different. In John 12, 46, look at what it says. He says, I am the light that has come into the world. No one who has faith in me will stay in the dark. Here's the thing, okay? On Sundays, I want to be very encouraging. I want to be very motivating. But there's times where I got to let you have it. Is that all right? Is that cool? Okay. And one thing you should never do is judge people's faith. Oh, they're going to hell. You don't know that. There was three people, there was two other criminals hanging with Jesus, and you could have easily said, oh, those two are going to hell, and one of them didn't. Okay? So, in light of that, but here's what the Bible does tell us. It tells us that we need to examine and test our faith. Here's a good way you can know if you are following Jesus. By examining how much darkness there is around you. He says, no one who has faith in me will stay in the dark. And darkness here is another word for sin. If you're still sinning, maybe you've become buddies with Jesus, but Jesus hasn't become your Lord yet. See, light is the word that is connected with joy, with blessings, with life. And Jesus, when Jesus is the light of our life, not only does he reveal the sin in us, but he also reveals what true life is. You know what sin is? Let me tell you what sin is. Sin is trying to find fulfillment outside of God. That's what sin is. Sin is saying, I know God says sex is supposed to be under these boundaries, but I think I know best. I think God says, I know that God says that this is the way we ought to view and manage money, but this is the way I do it. I know that God says I need to fellowship and be connected with my church family, but I get more joy out of going to the beach on Sunday. And here's the thing, sin, here, really, really, Whatever your sin is, whatever, and we all have at least one that we really struggle with, okay? Whatever your sin is, there's something you're trying to fulfill. Whether it is your self-esteem, whether it is an emotional uh, need or a sexual need or a financial need. Because sin is trying to, fulfill, trying to find fulfillment outside and apart from God. And you know the dangerous thing? Here's the dangerous thing. That sin does fulfill 
temporarily. Temporarily, that is the key. And, and here's the dangerous part, okay? And, and those of you that, 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 that you've had an addiction, you know how true this is. Because you feel good for a moment. But when the high comes down, you feel a greater what? Void. And you start doing it more. And you go from, from stealing a little bit to now stealing more. And now you're lying. And every time you keep going deeper and deeper, you know why? Because sin creates a bigger void. But what light does is that it shows us true life. It shows us that true fulfillment, listen to this, is found in Jesus. You want your marriage to be better? Find your fulfillment in Jesus. You want your friendships to be better? Find your fulfillment in Jesus. You want to have a better attitude towards money and family? Find your fulfillment in Jesus. If you try to find your fulfillment in anything else, you're only going to have heartaches and headaches. Jesus makes two promises. Go, go back with me to our verse in... Um, I'm sorry. In John 8, 12... Go back with me. It's at the beginning of your outline. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Listen to the next part. He says, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to what? Life. What Jesus does here is that he makes a promise that is twofold. There's a promise with two parts. Number one, he says that you won't walk in darkness, that you won't live in darkness. Are you tired of your difficult life? Are you tired of the same nasty, destructive cycle? Start following Jesus. And your life will change. And the second thing that he says is that not only will you walk, will not walk in darkness, he says that you'll have life. But here's the prerequisite. You got to follow him. See, we are delivered out of darkness by believing in Jesus, but we stay out of darkness by following Jesus. Can I say that again? We are delivered out of darkness by believing in Jesus. We stay out of darkness by following Jesus. And following is supposed to be this continuous thing. That's why we do life groups. That's why we have a midweek service. That's why we do conferences. That's why we do what we do at church, to encourage you, to motivate you, to keep following Jesus. And if you surround yourself with people that, that, that are following Jesus, I'll tell you what, it's going to be easier for you to follow Jesus. Now, I want to change the temperature a little bit, and I want to talk to Christians for a little bit, okay? If you're not a Christian, this is still, this is still beneficial to you, but you don't have to. Okay, you got a choice. But if you're a Christian, you got no choice. Okay, this is where a lot of people say, oh, thank God I'm not a real Christian. I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, let me talk to you for just a minute and I'm almost done. Life, life, when we speak about life, especially throughout these, this series, Jesus has been talking a lot about life. Life is often, as Christians, we see it as benefits to our life. We have life when we're healed. We have life when we're provided. We have life when God elevates us. We have life when things are going well. We have life when our kids come back to church. 
let me, let me add a part to that equation. Life for the Christian is not always about benefits for them, but it's also about being a blessing to others. When we think about life, we usually don't think about what God can do through me to benefit others. And we need to. Because God not only wants to fill the void in your life, but he also wants to use you to help others find the light. In fact, you want to know a secret? God will bless you more. God will bless you tremendously if you can become an instrument of blessings. If God's blessings can flow through you, then God can pour more blessings. But if the blessings get stuck in your pocket, in your house, in your weekend, in your comfort, guess what? God is going to say, you know, I got to find people that, that, that will transmit those blessings. Because remember what he told Abraham? He says, I will bless you and I will bless everyone through you. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 and 16. I'm still talking to Christians, so don't, 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 okay? Look at what he said. This is so powerful. He said, you are what? You are what? Hey, would you look at your neighbor and tell him, hey, you are the light of the world. Come on, tell him. Now, tell the other one. Tell him, you are the light of the world. Now, listen to this. Listen, I, I got to finish. Listen to what Jesus says. This is Jesus speaking, okay? He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it is given light to everyone in the house. In the same way, listen to this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to what? See. But pastor, I am a grace Christian. I don't live by works. No, you don't earn your salvations by works, but you prove your salvation by your works. He says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Listen, when you embrace Jesus, he has a transformational effect on you. But then he wants to use you as a transformational effect for others. So I got a question for you. Does your life show what Jesus is like? Are you being a light or have you put your light under a box? Maybe Jesus has lit up that light, but you have put a box on top of it. Can I mention some boxes we often put? A box that we put over our light is when we are quiet we are quiet when we should speak out and say, no, no, that's not true. They are human beings. You, we can't kill them. No, true fulfillment is not found in alcohol. It's found in the joy of God. And sometimes we want to be politically correct and we forget about being a light. A second box that we put in our life is by going along with the crowds. And this applies to all of us, especially to young people. You're afraid of being different and God has made you different. You are different because you are forgiven. You are chosen. You are called. You're anointed. And you are the light of the world. So stop trying to live like everybody else. 
Third, complacency and comfort. Sometimes we don't shine our light because we're too comfortable. We're too busy with our lives. And God, God, you, you keep saying, God, help me, help me. When you start helping others, let me tell you something. Your life will start changing. But we're too comfortable. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too rainy. They don't serve good coffee. I, comfort. And here's a big one. Ignoring the needs of others. God shows you needs because he believes and wants you to do something about it. But we ignore them. And when we often think about being, listen, our vision is we want to change the world one person at a time. And we often think that the only way we're going to do that is if we're pastors, is if we're doing, giving a million dollars. No. You know how you can change the world one person at a time? By covering one need at a time. And sometimes those needs grocery store. Sometimes they happen in your company. Sometimes they happen while you're standing waiting for the light to change and there's a man asking for money in the window. Listen, Jesus is the light. And once you follow him, he says, now you are the light. And we are supposed to be change makers. We are supposed to make a difference. Our light is supposed to make a difference. And this is so powerful because there's some of you that you're saying, but pastor, you don't know how, how sinful I am. You don't know how bad my life is. Now, maybe I don't, but he does. And you know what's the amazing thing? That not only can Jesus wipe your slate clean and remove all that filth, remove all that disorder, but listen, here's the amazing part. He can take you from being a victim to now being a change maker. He can take you from being in need to now meeting needs. He can take you from being in desperation to now being a first responder in the faith. But you gotta let your light shine. You gotta let your light shine. And we do what we do, not to get the applause of others, but so that people can see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. So I want to challenge you this week. Can you let your light shine this week? Make a difference. You can. God gave you a company to make a difference. God gave you a managerial position to make a difference. God put you in that neighborhood to make a difference. God allowed you to go to that school to make a difference. Let your light shine. That more can see Jesus and experience true life.